Well, welcome to the show. You're listening to Deep Dive for Life, where we take a deep dive into Scripture each week. I'm your host, Chris Abercrombie, and with me, as always, is Andrew Schull, pastor here at First Baptist Church, Woodruff. Uh, last week, we discussed the question, what's the cost to follow Christ? We didn't really get to discuss everything there was there, because there is a lot of content that we could cover as far as the cost of Christianity, but I feel like we've given you a pretty good starter just to give you some information to chew on and to think about. Um, I thought this week that it would be a good segue to go from talking about the cost of Christianity to what Christianity actually looks like. Because I feel like we have a bit of a skewed reality when it comes to what a Christian should actually be biblically. Do you, do you agree with that, Andrew? Oh, I do. A lot of misconceptions about that, and, and a lot that have some pretty awful consequences. Uh, I guess to start off with, we, we need to acknowledge that from an earthly standpoint, we don't know who a true Christian is. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus tells us repeatedly that on Judgment Day, there'll be a lot of surprises. And so somebody that we have written off as being a reprobate or, or totally apart from God may in fact have a relationship with God and, and we just we didn't know the heart. You remember the day, the story in, in 1 Samuel where Saul is anointing kings and he goes through all of Jesse's sons and finally um, the run of the litter, David, is presented. And in, the, in that passage, in that story, God reminds Samuel that people look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Mm-hmm. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and they'll, he talks about how they healed the sick or cast out demons in his name. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. I, I did not, we did not have that relationship. We did not mm-hmm. have that saving relationship. And so I'm afraid there are many people who feel like they have done all they need to do to be a Christian, but they are missing the most important part, which is a, an actual, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the quotes I had written down was by Chick, Chip Ingram saying, the greatest need today is for Christians to live like Christians. Mm. But if you look around, we don't have that many good Christian influences anymore. Right. But I guess maybe we never really had that good of a Christian influence around us. Because it, it, you think of the greats, right? You think Billy Graham. You think, um, was Lee Strobel one? He's still alive. Okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, you think David Platt? Uh, he's still alive. He's still alive. But <laughs> you you have these pillars. You would think of Christianity, and we don't really see them as much anymore as we think we used to. Yes, and and it's obvious that our culture is no longer um, what we would call a Christian culture. It's not the cool um, thing. People anymore. do not use a Judeo-Christian heritage. Um, the ethics of the Bible to make decisions um, politically or, or in error like Europe did years ago. Um, and we're making things up as we go along. We're mm-hmm. deciding for ourselves what's right and wrong. And that creates a world of problems and difficulties. And one problem leads to another problem leads to another problem. It's the same sin as Adam and Eve committed in the garden. Um, God gave them the choice. You can trust me to help you know what's right and wrong. Or you can decide for yourself. And, of course, Adam and Eve chose to decide for themselves what's right and wrong. So if all we do is look around and see society crumbling, what's keeping us from just throwing our hands up and going along with the ride? Uh, Well, we're called to be faithful. 
um, to the things that Jesus has taught us. And as you read the scriptures, you discover that this is exactly what the scriptures say. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you read about the last days, and it talks about how, well, Jesus himself tells us that the love of most will grow cold. Uh, the apostles tell us that um, people will only put up with what they already want to hear. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is our society right now. Um, people choose which news broadcast they listen to because everything is biased, everything is slandered, and they, and they want it slandered and biased in what they already think. Mm-hmm. They don't want that challenged. I hear the term a lot that we create echo chambers around ourselves where all of us just think like-minded. There's never any new input and there's never any challenging of viewpoints. Right. It's just, oh, well, this is what we think, and our little huddle is going to stay over here and right. think the same thing and just kind of stew over what we think is important. Right. Or and In some ways, that's symptomatic of our relativistic society. Uh, once you lose the objective standard for right and wrong, once everybody can decide for themselves what's right and wrong, like like is what happened in that terrible period the Bible records of the judges where just horrible atrocities took place. Everybody decides what's right and wrong, and so that leads to uh, this, you do your group over there, I'll mm-hmm. do my group over here, and um, we get confused because we think everybody's entitled to their own truth, mm-hmm. but really there is a truth. And it it belongs to God. Uh, That kind of leads into this quote by Dr. Tony Evans. It is my unwavering conviction that there are two answers to everybody's question. God's answer and everyone else's answer. And everyone else's answer is wrong. (laughs) God has spoken clearly, and he has done so only through the Bible. Right. And if you think of, you know, in some ways, just like the owner's manual for your car will help you to know how the car will run most efficiently and best and how you can take care of it where it will last a long time. You know, the Bible gives us that kind of help. And if we ignore it, we do so at our own peril. But back to the question that we were talking about was what makes someone a Christian you know, I, I really think that is someone who has a personal, close relationship with Christ. And there are misconceptions there. Um, unfortunately, in, in Baptist life, Protestant life, um, well, maybe I should just say Baptist life, we have the misconception that it's more like a checklist, that you um, you talk to the preacher, maybe you come down the aisle, you shake the preacher's hand, there's a prayer, um, you get baptized, you get a little bit wet, and then you're good to go. And that's what being a Christian is all about. Mm-hmm. And even though we don't preach it that way, that's what people hear. Um, and maybe it's what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. But being a Christian, that's the beginning. Uh, that's an ongoing relationship. Um, you wouldn't conduct a wedding ceremony and then expect people to go back to their own houses and live like they did before the wedding. Mm-hmm. Um Becoming a Christian is a beginning of a relationship of growth with Christ where you're, you're learning and growing. You are a disciple. You are a learner. And so uh, walking down the aisle, being baptized is just the first step of a lifelong commitment. And there are a lot of people that don't view it that way. Mm-hmm. Church roles are filled with people that made that decision and then they haven't really darkened the door of the church since because they feel like they've done all they need to do. Mm-hmm. But that's not what the Bible teaches. 
So where do you think that disconnect happened? Where do you where do you think we have gotten that misconception of, oh well I've checked this box now I'm good for life. Yeah. Part of it is a lack of emphasis on discipleship. Mm-hmm. I mean the church should be disciples who are making disciples. We should be learning and then sharing what we've learned. Mm-hmm. And instead, what we have are people who take in, take in, and never share. Um, and so, and that was a problem in the first century too. Paul addresses the Corinthians and says, you know, some of you should be teachers, uh, but you're still having to be fed, and you haven't been able to move on to solid food. There are things I'd love to share with you, but you're not ready yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not mature enough uh, to handle these things. And and so, spiritual immaturity modeled for new believers is a big factor. I mean, I think if a new believer came into a congregation where people were on fire for the Lord and growing daily in their walk with the Lord, then they would want to follow in that model. Whereas if they come into a congregation where people are just sort of sedentary and sitting back and not growing and the fruit of the Spirit is not evident in their lives, then that's the pattern they follow too. But I I worry because I think there are people who feel like they've done all they need to do and they are missing the joy and the peace and the hope and the strength and possibly even missing the eternal life that could be theirs because they think they've already done what they need to do Mm -hmm. and they don't realize that that they've missed the most important part. They've missed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, we put TIO in on things that have process. Salvation is a process. It's a past event. I was saved. It's a present reality. I am being saved. It's a future event. One day I will be saved. And and salvation is complete. So throughout the scriptures, salvation is presented in a lot of different ways. I really like John uh, 5.24, Jesus there says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So it's that relationship with Christ uh, that is emphasized. I have the same attitude they have. All those things are contagious in the human societal mm-hmm. model. What if we spent that much time with Jesus? What if we begin to care and love for people the way Jesus cares for people and loves people? What if we were able to have a worldview that reflected eternal and godly values instead of what we are constantly bombarded with from our society? But I do feel like people could take that as, well, Jesus needs to be your friend type of mindset. Yeah. It's the same thing where I think parents fall into that same trap where they think, oh, well, my kid should be my friend. Right. No, <laughs> you're their parent. <laughs> There's no, yeah, you can act like a friend, but at the end of the day, you're still their parent. So right. Right. whereas some people feel like, I, I think it's a good way to describe Jesus to kids because you right. want them to associate that right. friendliness and that love um, to a child, but it's it's kind of putting them in a box at the same time. Right. It's slapping a label on them saying, oh, well, he's a friend, when in reality he's a lot more than that. Right, right. He's not just a friend. Mm-hmm. He is also our Savior. He is also our Lord. 
Uh, he is also the one who will judge mm-hmm. everyone who has walked the face of the earth, and every single person will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, in this 2020 age when very few things have certainty, you know, we make plans and then change the plans and then change the plans that we changed when we changed the plans. Mm-hmm. That's how we're living right now. But one of the deep certainties of Scripture is that every single person will be called to give an account before Christ. And this verse that I referred to in John chapter 5, 24, Jesus says, if you entrust yourself to me, you've already crossed over from death to life. Um, and, and that's how we prepare to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So he's not just our friend. He's our Savior. He's our Lord that we want to follow and, and obey the things that he wants us to do. Uh, and he's the one who will ultimately judge whether we have done those things and, and how our relationship with him affects our actions. You know, Jesus uh, gives a parable of Judgment Day where the people are divided like a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And in that parable is confusing to people because Jesus doesn't use the same. He doesn't say, okay, the people who have a personal relationship with me are on the right. Instead, he says, I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You took me in. And so those actions reflect that relationship with Christ. We're saved by grace through faith. But saving changes us. And it's interesting in that parable that Jesus tells because the people who have done these cool things, feeding the hungry, that kind of thing, they say, Lord, we we don't remember that. We don't remember you being hungry or thirsty. And Jesus comes back with, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me, which shows God's concern for the weakest members of society Mm -hmm. and his identification with them. But it also, I think, illustrates just the fact that it's a lifestyle. You know, if you only feed one hungry person, you'll remember that. But by the time you fed thousands of hungry people, mm-hmm. it's just a day's work. It's mm-hmm. just an ordinary part of life. And so they don't remember. Preach against the dangers of a sedentary lifestyle. I wish I had taken their words to heart more. But on a spiritual level, we like to be comfortable. We don't like to put forth a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. But the Christian life really is about moving forward. It's about growth. It's about every day with Jesus being sweeter than the day before. It's about the fruit of the Spirit um, being more and more evident in our lives. So I'm hoping that I am more patient now than I was five years ago. I'm hoping that I have more joy now than I had five years ago. Um, I'm hoping that I'm more at peace than I was five years ago because I'm hoping that the fruit of God's Spirit is more evident in my lives that in my life that I look more like Jesus with each day that passes. So the challenge is, is growth and letting the Spirit move and work, and and that comes from taking the gifts God's entrusted to us and putting them into action. It comes from um, really diving into God's Word. It comes from spending time with with God in prayer. Uh, it comes from being part of a fellowship where there is encounter, there's accountability and where we can help each other grow and spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I mean, all of those things are essential for growth. This summer, I had a friend pull up all the shrubbery in my yard and started with new shrubbery. And the shrubbery had been there 25 years, so it it had a good life and it was looking really bad. So the new shrubbery, of course, requires a lot of care. Uh, I've been watering and I've been, you know, paying attention to where the sun hits them and and those things that will help them to grow and get established and and survive the way that they they need to. 
And I think about that even in relationship to the Christian life. We have a tendency just to be sedentary. But really, we need to be concerned about how can we grow. What's on our spiritual diet? What are we ingesting? What what are we exposing ourselves to? Mm -hmm. Um, Are we taking advantage of all the opportunities that God lays before us where he wants us to grow, uh, to be more like Jesus? It's also kind of amazing to me that people would claim to follow Christ, claim to be Christian, and not spend time learning the words of Jesus or the things that Jesus asks us to do. Yeah. And I know the Bible can be an intimidating book, but but if that's your life's purpose, why in the world would you ignore it mm-hmm. or put it aside when it contains the very words that Jesus speaks to us? For being a people who claim it's all about relationships, we are very bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> So this is coming from John 17, 13 through 18. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So we see one of the big premises here is that we are called to be in the world, yet not from the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. Right. And it's that balance. It, it's that separation, the boundaries of we are called to be in the world and yet not of it that I think we really struggle with. Right. And that's what I see is why we are so bad at having this relationship because we tend to like what we're around. We tend to like our stuff. We tend to like what the world has to offer. And yet, we are not supposed to be of the world. Right. We're just supposed to be in it. Yes. Having that balance of being in it, yet not of it, is, I think, the, the missing link a lot of times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. Um, Jesus tells us we are the salt of the earth. And salt, of course, was, is still one of the most useful things in the world. But mm-hmm. in the first century, it really was. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could make a long, long list of things that salt is useful for. So what Jesus is really saying is, hey, you're going to be useful to this world. I have put you in places where, um, where you can make a difference, where you can be an agent of change. Um, and just as salt brings flavor to food, you know, it, it can make a tremendous difference. But our tendency as Christians is to stay in the salt shaker sometimes, mm. to isolate ourselves and to not be that difference that the world uh, or to, look, to be so indistinct from the world that we lose our effectiveness. And Jesus goes on to say, if salt loses its saltiness, what's it good for? Mm-hmm. Might as well throw it on the ground and walk over it because it's not helping anything. 
Um, so there's a distinctiveness that we're called to uh, to be in the world, but not of the world. And here in, in this, this passage is particularly beautiful because it's a prayer that Jesus gives the night before he's crucified. And so he has uh, his followers, you and I, on his heart uh, in those powerful moments um, as he is surrendering uh, completely, not my will, but, but your will be done mm-hmm. uh, to bring about our salvation. Um, he, he, we are on his heart in a heavy way. And, um, and he recognizes that we're not in the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. And yet we've been sent to the world just as he was sent to the world. Um, and he was sent here on a mission. We've been sent here on a mission. And, and I think about that. You know, if we're putting lamps in a room, you put the lamps where you need light. In this dark world that has lost hope, that has lost its way, that no longer has a compass, God has placed people strategically because mm-hmm. God's desire is for no one to perish, but for everyone to come to his son, Jesus Christ, and to repent and to turn and to experience the life that is truly life. So he has strategically placed his people where they need to be to make a difference in the world, but not of the world. Challenge to, to, to keep that distinctiveness where we can really be useful. Light in the darkness. So going back to our discussion about the relationship, looking at this passage, we see that that the relationship has a purpose and we have a purpose and we should be more intent on pursuing that relationship yes in fulfilling our purposes yes i guess it comes with a level of discernment though because or we need to have a level of discernment because it's easy to get sucked into what the world wants us to get sucked into yes like, for instance, right now, Christianity is not really a very cool thing. It's not. And we are bombarded constantly with commercials, with mm-hmm. television programs, with music, with news reports, with all manner of things that pull us in a different direction. And so having a strong, positive network of nourishment for the Christian life is probably more essential now than it's ever been um, because our, our world has turned its back on God. Our world has, is, is not a friend of grace. Our world is not going to help us to become more Christ-like. So do you feel like this worldliness has gotten worse over time? Or do you feel like it's always been here? Because I think of even in Jesus' time, it wasn't cool then. No, no, certainly <laughs> it, yeah, in some ways, um, one of the things that Scripture helps us understand is that human nature hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were lost then, we're lost now. <laughs> uh, we needed a Savior then, we need a Savior now. Uh, the things that people struggle with in Genesis are the same things that people are struggling with today. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of what people might think about evolution, we have not evolved. Um, we are the same people we were back then. Mm-hmm. There has been no significant change um, in human behavior. Mm. There just hadn't been. And, and so we can relate very heavily to the, the characters in Scripture because uh, we start out looking at a picture and then it becomes a mirror. Um, I mean, we think it's a story about Adam and Eve, but really it's a story about me. 
mm-hmm. and my relationship with God and, and do I want to define good and evil for myself or am I going to trust God to define that for me? Am I going to trust that God really knows what he's doing? That's the issue at heart. So in all the biblical stories are like that. Um, so human nature hasn't changed along that line. But I do think as we look at the last days, there will be more and more and more people whose love has grown cold. There will be more and more people who will reject the faith uh, to the point that Jesus himself says, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? You've been listening to Deep Dive for Life. Thank you so much for joining us on our deep dive into scripture this week. We'll be back next week with new scripture to dive into. Feel free to reach out to us at deepdiveforlife at gmail.com. Remember to keep diving, friends. Thank you.